KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I love basketball. You know, after my experience with the coaches that I've had growing up, they were all very positive influences on my life. They were all father figures for me at a certain point in my life. So I wanted to coach because I wanted to to be that for somebody else, you know, and I wanted to give back what was given to me. And our guest this week is Mike Jordan, recently hired as an assistant men's basketball coach at Drexel University, one of the greatest players in the history of the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate this, uh, this opportunity. So why was the Drexel job the right one at the right time? You had a ton of success on staff at Colgate. Why was this the right time to, to make this move? Uh, I, I guess time will tell if it was, it was, if it was in fact, the right time. Um, it, was a, it was a very difficult decision to make um, just because of the, my relationship with, uh, with Matt. You know, I've known him since 96. Um, yeah, we've kind of turned this program around up here. You know, the staff that we have is pretty good staff. We have some very good players, relationships, you know, we established. Um, so it was hard. It was hard to leave. But, um, you know, I, it just seemed, you know, my wife, she wanted to get back down into the area, um, uh, be closer to her family and my family's still down there. And um, I just think it was it was it was the right time. You know, um, I have aspirations. Uh to, to continue to coach and, and, and run my own program one day. And I think, you know, if I can help Drexel, you know, get back to the tournament and, and, and help Spike and then continue to, to push the program in the right direction, and maybe that'll, that'll open up some doors. So what's your earliest memory of basketball? What, what's the first thing when you think about your life in basketball? What's your first memory? My first memory uh, of, of basketball, I'm probably – uh, my summer, I'm 12, turning 13, and and a friend of mine, Eric Worley, um, was like, "Come, come play with us. We need another guy." And I just remember telling him that I'm not very good at basketball, and because I was a football player, I love football. But they needed an extra guy, so they wouldn't forfeit. So I went and played, and then from that day on, I, I kind of kind of loved it and wanted to get better and wanted to continue at it. So that was my first memory. So that's relatively late in the game for someone who had the success that you have had uh, in on the basketball court. When do you start to realize that, hey, I'm pretty good at this and I'm getting a little more attention than most people? Probably probably not for a while. Um, you know, uh, I think because of my name, I had a lot to live up to. So a lot of people never wanted to give me credit anyway. I was like, oh, he's garbage. He's trash. And I really wasn't that good. So I just continued to work and work and work. Uh, I would practice with my team. I would practice with the older team. Um, the one thing I could do was play defense, so I kind of hung my hat on that. And, you know, I wanted to go out and I wanted to guard the best player and I wanted to play against the best players all the time to prove myself. So I think once I probably – once I got to, uh, to you know, Abington Friends and also when I started playing down the Sunny Hill League – um, I started to get a little bit of recognition. I guess that's maybe when it when it sunk in that you know that, that I was getting better and um, you know and improving as a player. When do you start to think, hey, you know what, I can take this to college? Well, I, th- I think 
got my first my first letter when I was a sophomore in high school. And I, mean, I got my first letter. And I, I guess when you start getting the letters, uh, you know, when the letters start coming in, you start to believe that you're a college player. Um, I got a, f- a few, you know, early, you know, D3, I think D2 schools, um, a couple of Division One from all over early. And then, you know, as I continued to play more and get more, you know, more uh, exposure, um, you start to realize, you know, like the guys in your class, hey, he's going here. The older guys that you played against, that you competed against, were getting, you know, going to this school, going to that school. And you start, you know, the, the coaches start calling you. I think that's when you finally realize, like, okay, I, I can definitely play at the next level. When does the University of Pennsylvania come into the picture? It's funny, actually, because uh, I think uh, Coach Chadwin actually recruited Penn. <laughs> I had gotten some looks, uh, not a lot of looks in the city, to be honest, um, in, in, in the beginning. Say St. Joe's, you know, Jeff Arnold and uh, he was recruiting me over there. Drexel was recruiting me because they had uh, – Drexel had – Monte Ross was an assistant on staff, and they both were really good friends with the guy who I used to work out with, my mentor, John Harnett. So, you know, they knew who I was early. Um, and then Coach Chadwin actually called Dump, I believe, and was – I was like, why, why are you not recruiting my boy? And Dunf was like, oh, he, does he have interest in Penn? And, and I guess that's how that started. And then Dunf, you know, recruited me from there. And I didn't, um, he, he took over my recruitment um, as, the, as the Penn head coach. So he was, he was pretty much the one who recruited me, you know, from that conversation that, that Coach Chadwin had with him because he didn't, he, uh, maybe he didn't think I had any interest in, in going to the Ivy League. But, um, you know, that was the only Ivy League school to recruit me. And, I ended up there, so it was, it was a it was a good thing that Coach Chowan did call because it all worked out. So you decided to go to Penn. Uh, what's the transition to the college game, and not just, or I shouldn't say, to the college game to college? Because not only are you taking a big step athletically, but obviously uh, it's going to be a challenge academically. What were the, those that first couple of months like? It wasn't that difficult for me per se, um, athletically or in the classroom because uh, I had a pretty good base uh, coming from Abington friends as far as the classroom goes. Basketball-wise, I was playing against NBA players and overseas players and, and, and college players, you know, since I was in the ninth grade. So, you know, all, all those summer workouts with John, John Harnett, you know, playing against bigger, stronger, you know, faster, more athletic guys every summer definitely – prepared me for 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 college so the adjustment was it wasn't that it wasn't that difficult you know for me and then having some friends was a very very good uh high school so academically you know i was i was prepared for for the rigors in in that aspect you know do you remember the first moment where you really felt like at penn you say the transition wasn't that bad but there had to be the kind of that first moment where you did something on the court where you were like this is going to be fun. I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. And we're going to, we're going to do some things here. No, not, not really, man. It was, as I said, like the game, you know, the, the, the game is, is the game playing, as I said, playing growing up against the, my old heads, you know, guys like Alvin Williams and watching, you know, Jerome Allen and playing against them in the summertime. And, you know, like just those guys, you know, John Haynes playing against all the, all the, all the tough Philly competition and all the, all the old heads that, that grew up before me that I learned from and watched. And then when I was able to, 
to to play against them and, and just be a sponge and steal stuff from from all those guys. You know, the Sean Colsons, the Red Smiths, you know, uh, Levan Austin, all those guys. Aaron McKee, playing against them and with them and learning from them definitely uh, had me ready for, for for college. And when I first got the pen, I I, did, I was came off the bench, so I came off the bench my freshman year. So it wasn't like I came in there and. And I was starting right away, and, and, and they rolled out the red carpet. You know, everything is is earned, and, and Dump Dump made me work for that for that starting position, that, and I ended up winning that um, halfway through the, my freshman year. What was it like playing for Dump? Uh, it was it was great. Um, you know, Dump was a, a lot tougher back then than he than he is now. He's gotten softer in his old age. But um, Dunf was a great coach, um, and he he demanded th- that you give your all all the time, and he expected that of you. And he didn't it didn't matter if you were the the number one player on the team or the num- you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. It didn't matter. Um, he wanted he wanted to push you to be the best that you can be, and he not only wanted you to be a good basketball player, but he wanted you to be a good person at the end of the day. So when you think to your time at Penn. Are there one or two games, one or two moments? You had a ton of success. Rookie of the year, uh, three-time, I think, first-team Ivy League player, or first-team All-Ivy, Ivy League player of the year. You win a couple Ivy League titles. When you think back to your time, what are the first memories that come rushing back? The first memory is actually a bad memory that comes running back when I think about it. We were up 33-9 uh, to nine against Princeton my junior year, I believe, at the Palestra. And um, we ended up losing the game. So, you know, that's the, that's the first memory that comes back. I, I remember it vividly. Uh, the, the, the crowd was chanting, you have six points or something, nine points. I remember that chant, 33 to nine, halftime. And we come out in the second half and, and we lose. So, you know, that was one of the worst games that, in my college career, um, you know, being up like that and then losing. Um, but then, you know, after that, we, we ran the table. And didn't lose another game until until we lost to uh, Florida in the, in the NCAA tournament that year. So, you know, you got to take some good from the bad, and and the, and the good from that was we came together and and we ran the table. And then after that, you know, that same year we we played Princeton at the end of the year at their place, and the winner goes to the tournament, and we we pop, we mopped them, you know, on their floor. And, uh, you know, we, we cut down the nets on their floor and we celebrated on their floor. So, um, you know, those, those were the first two memories. And then just winning, cha- winning the championship my senior year is, a, is another memory that I'll, that I'll always share. So, you know, that loss and then later that year winning it on their floor. Uh, and and uh, it wasn't close. <laughs> you know, that was great. And then the next year we went undefeated in the league and, and won, won the title again. So um, those back-to-back. You know, my junior senior years were, were awesome. Where do you think you grew the most as a player during your time at Penn? What part of your game do you think uh, made the most progress? I think I, I became an overall uh, a better player, you know, playing in the style that we played. Uh, you know, Dunf, Dunf gave us a lot of freedom, and he allowed us to, to make, you know, allowed us to be coaches on the floor. Um, and, 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 you know, read and react is, is what we were taught. You know, take what the defense gives you. Um, so I think, you know, just becoming an overall player, seeing the floor, recognizing, you know, the mismatch and the holes and things like that. 
just just the overall, I think I, I became an overall just a better player because being in, in Philadelphia at Penn, you know, having good coaches, and then the summertime playing against that that you know the the, the competition that was around and and still learning from you know NBA guys and, and, and older older guys that were playing pro overseas. I, I think just as a basketball player, you got you got to be a sponge and soak up all the information you can because uh, it only makes you better, you know, and just competing uh, every day as hard as you possibly can and just learn and learn and learn. And I learned a lot from Dump. I learned a lot, you know, from John Harnett. I learned a lot from everyone that I, that I played against um, and that I played with. So, you know, you just got to be a sponge and, and continue to, uh, to soak up as much information. And I was fortunate enough to have very, very good teammates um, who were also very cerebral, uh, about the game and, and, and could read defenses and things like that. So I was very fortunate. After college, you go on to play pro. Uh, you get a couple of uh, opportunities with the couple NBA teams. Uh, then you have a long, successful career in Europe. Talk a little bit about your time as a pro. I think uh, you would play on the Summer League for the Sixers and the Celtics in the preseason. Am I correct? Yeah, I was with the, uh, the Sixers in the summertime. Uh, they were really guard heavy. Kevin Alley, uh, they had just drafted Speedy Claxton, uh, Ira Bowman, Pepe Sanchez ended up sticking on that team. Um, so it wasn't. It was. I didn't get a whole lot of opportunity, but the experience was great. And then I was fortunate enough to get called to to vet camp with the with the Celtics. Myself and, and Rodney Elliott were the only rookies in camp that year. This was uh, when Patino was still coaching. And uh, it was a great situation for me because, you know, how Patino was coaching, he wanted you to pick guys up. And, and I was in, a, you know, arguably the best shape of my life. So going into camp, you know, I was I was pressing Randy Brown and, and Kenny Anderson all over the place, you know. And then they, they ended up trading. Uh, they ended up trading Calvert Chaney for Chris Heron uh, to come back home. And, and we all know the Chris Heron story and how that how that played out. So. You know, I, I, we actually, it was funny because, not funny, but it was interesting because we took our team to go go listen to him talk. And, I, you know, I went up and talked to him afterwards. And I, and I told him, I said, man, you know, if, how, imagine if things would have been different if you would have stayed in Denver and Calvert Chaney stayed in, in Boston. Maybe I would have made that team. And, you know, maybe your life would have been a little bit different as well because you, you wouldn't have been back home with those influence. You would have been out there. And, we, you know, we talked about that a little bit. But, that, you know, that was a great experience. I, I ended up not making it and then you know heading overseas got my first actually after that it was like I didn't know if I was going to play because I went over to a team in France uh, I think it was called Best of Song if I, if, if, I, if I remember correctly I got there Friday played Saturday I was on the first thing smoking back home on Tuesday you know so that was my how my pro career in Europe started and I was just like damn you know like so I, I'm back home and, and really not a whole lot of opportunity for me and I ended up uh, actually helping out coach the, the JV team at Penn so I can stay in shape and work out, practice with them. And I was working for um, Keith Weigel, Professor Weigel in, in the Wharton office um, so I can make a little bit of money. And I was actually uh, I was staying at uh, Jeff Owens. He had a fifth year. I was staying on his, his couch down at Penn just so I could work out and work and stuff down there and stay in shape just in case I got the call. And then um, a friend of mine was playing over in Germany, TJ Zanin another guy from just outside the Philly area, he had hit me up and was like, look, uh, this team needs a guard that I'm on. Um, it's not much money, but you can come over and play, help us stay, you know, stay in the, the league we're in. We don't want to get relegated. And then you can get some film 
and then maybe that'll that'll have you something for next season. So I went over there, took the gig, played well, uh, saved the team, kept them up, and then uh, came back home and ended up playing in the IBL with the Trenton Stars. You know, Malik Allen was on that team. Larry Abney was on that team. He was coaching now with the, uh, the Clippers. Had a pretty good team. Um, and I ended up getting that that opportunity because uh, Hank Faulkner, who uh, owns Faulkner Automobiles, I went to school, I went to high school with his kids. And, uh, you know, I was uh, friends with them. I was friends with his son, Harry. And he knew the owner of the Trenton Stars, and he got me a tryout. And then I played well enough to get the tryout. Jeff Malone was the coach at that time. Got me a tryout, tried out, made the team, ended up playing pretty well. And then I got my first. And then the next, the following summer, I ended up playing in Spain. And then from Spain, I just, it just took off. Now you ended, am I correct? You played in nine different countries overseas when it was all said. Yeah, started. yeah, nine, nine different countries. I started out in Spain. I played uh, three and a half years in Germany. It was crazy because I, I was with the team in Germany. I, I signed, we were in second division. And we won the league, so I had a rollover contract where they had to bring me back. So then I played for that team for two years, and then I signed another two-year deal to stay with the same team. Halfway through that, uh, through the second year, I had got released from that team, ended up going down to Latvia, playing down there for about probably like a month, and then coming back to Germany uh, to play in Cologne, and we won the championship uh, in Cologne. So after Cologne... I ended up going to uh, to Italy, played in the, the top division in Italy, um, in Cantu, which was which was awesome because every night in Italy, you're playing against top tier guards. You know, Travis Best was over there at the time. Uh, Jerome Allen was over there. Tyus Edney was over there. You know, Marco Bellinelli, all those guys. Gallinari. I was playing against all those guys over there. So every night, you know, you you got some great competition. Uh, after that season, I ended up going over to to Belgium. Started the season in Belgium, ended that season in uh, in Greece. And then after that year, I started the season out in Israel, but finished the season in Germany. And then I finished my career out playing in Germany. Was there culture shock every time you went to a different country or once you kind of got a feel for what overseas basketball was about, uh, the transition from team to team, country to country got easier and easier? Yeah, it was... Um... I, I think it was it was pretty easy. I, I'm, uh, I'm I'm very fortunate, as I said. Like I, I went to a school, you know. I went to Abington Friends. I, I went to Penn, and I was able to to be around um, all different types of people. And I think those two experiences have have, have had helped me, you know, adjust to overseas. Um, it, it's funny because a lot of my a lot of my uh, overseas friends they're like, "Yo, you're the most European American that we know," you know, just because I was willing to. Now I should have learned the language a little bit better than I did. But, um, you know, I think I, I, I pride myself on, on being able to, to adapt and fit in, you know, anywhere and, and be comfortable wherever I am. Um, and that was one of the, one of the things also about being over there was that you had the language barrier and everything like that. But, you know, um, I think if you're a good, good person, you, you can adapt and, and you make friends everywhere you go and you're, you're able to adjust and overseas isn't for everybody. A lot of people get over there and they're like, man, I, I'm done. You know, they play one year or they get over there half the year and they're just like, you know what, this isn't for me. So, um, you know, I, I was fortunate to be able to play as long as I could. And, and I just went into went into every situation with an open mind and try to make the best of every situation that I had. You know, I was getting played to play basketball. <laughs> I've heard a lot of interesting stories overseas. Did you have any situations where you were in 
you know, sketchy ownership? Is the check going to clear or anything like that? Or were you in most places where it was, uh, you know, you felt pretty confident with everything? Yeah, I, again, was very fortunate to play on teams um, where I was going to get my get my money. You know, um, the checks were, were, were on time. And, and if not on time, they were just a few days late. So I've always, you know, I've lucked up and been in situations because I've heard those same stories as well. But I've been very fortunate to the, to the places where I play where, um, you know, I, I had always gotten my money on time. Um, you know, uh, a couple spots was was a little shaky um, as far as, you know, the, the contract and they would try to you know do certain things that weren't in the contract. But overall, um, my experience over there was, was very, very positive. Did you have to adjust your game? country to country because of style not so much because of, but just because of you know how basketballs what the focus is on germany what the focus is in france or did you pretty much just do what you do and you were able to fit in um i pretty much just played you know play did, did what i did uh my, my first year out there i really had to adjust um when i was playing in spain uh, i really had to adjust because that was my first year really in europe and my first game i, I, I traveled six times you know, so I had to uh, I had to adjust to that. You know, the difference in, in how they call travels over there to to what they what they call in the states. And then, you know, after after I adjusted that, and it took me a year actually to, to get that because I, I had learned how to crossover step when I was in Germany. So I wouldn't get travel when I go. You know, my first step blow by a guy. They wouldn't call travel on me. Um, and, and it's something little as that that you that you don't that you you've practiced one way your entire life. And then you go over there and you do it and they call travel on you every single time, you know, so it took some, a little adjustment on that. Other than that, it was just a matter of me uh, going out and playing as hard as I can for as long as I can. And, you know, um, whatever the coach needed, you, you know what I mean? It, it changes from team to team, not just country to country. So if you want to continue to play and, and be on the floor and win, you got to do what, what, what the coach asked you to do. I mean, I played for some teams where I come out and I was passing a whole lot and coach pulled me aside and said, listen, man, I need you to score more. So now I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll score more. That's what you want me to do. Some other teams, we had a lot of talent. I was only one basketball. So I, I you know, I shifted to, to passing, being a facilitator. So I think not only country to country, I think it's just, it's, it's team to team that you want, that you're on that you have to adjust. And the guys that can do that, and I think are the guys that play, end up playing for a long time time to take a break on one on one we will have more with drexel assistant men's basketball coach mike jordan right after this hey everybody it's cherry Gregg here you may know me around town as kyw news radio's community affairs reporter but every week i produce and host flashpoint a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in philadelphia local newsmakers and change makers burning things up in our region from gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back. Our guest this week on One on One, Drexel assistant men's basketball coach Mike Jordan. So the playing day's end, was coaching always something you figured would be a logical next step whenever you were done on the court, or was it a situation where the career is over as a player and I need to stay close to the game? I, I love basketball, and I've always, you know, after my experience with the coaches that, I, that I've had growing up, they were all, 
you know, very positive influences on my life. They were all, you know, father figures for me at a certain point in my life. So I wanted to coach because I wanted to, to be that for somebody else, you know, and I wanted to give back what was given to me. So coaching was something that I always wanted to do. It just so happened that, you know, Matt had got a job at Colgate. They were there for a year before I, before I retired. And a, and a position opened up and my firstborn, uh, my daughter Eva was born. And I was contemplating on if I wanted to go back over or not, or, you know, my money wasn't what I wanted it to be. Um, you know, uh, they did a, a little documentary over in Germany that, that painted me in a little bit of a bad light. So there, there was that marring, you know, my career a little bit. And this opportunity to coach came up and, and it was an opportunity to coach right away, meaning I can get out on the floor, I can recruit, I can, you know, do all that right away. I didn't have to go, you know, the, the dobo or the video coordinator route and things like that. So at that point, it was like, you know what? It's time to stop playing and start, chap- you know, the next chapter, chapter of your life. And that was coaching. So I was very grateful, you know, for that opportunity to jump right in and get hit the ground running, you know, right away. So it, it was kind of like a, a no-brainer to, to start that point in my career. I stay home with my family, um, and I get to coach and continue to, to be around the game and, and, and something that I love. So you're on Matt Langle's staff. How much does being an Ivy League player help you be a coach at a place like Colgate because you're dealing with a lot of the, the same type of kid, the same type of academic challenges the kids will face, and – not just kind of knowing how the sausage is made, but also an empathy for what the student athletes going through. I would imagine that helped a lot. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think it helped uh, coming from, from an academic, you know, situation. All of us playing at Penn, uh, majority three, three fourths of our, you know, three fifths of our coaching staff staff playing at, um, at an Ivy league institution, uh, knowing the, 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 the type of, uh, the type of kid we have to recruit, you know, knowing the grades and, and, and all that stuff like that. So, I think it helped uh, making that transition, but you know, I think anywhere, anywhere you, you want to recruit, uh, you want to recruit good kids. Um, you want to recruit. Obviously, you want you need talent to win. Um, so you want to recruit talented, good, good kids wherever you are. But you know, knowing the scores and all that things that we need, and and you know, myself, like I, I know I had to had to test a bunch of times to to get in the pen. You know what I mean? Uh, my ACT score was was legit, was high enough to to get in, but you know, my SAT score, I had to take it, uh, you know, three or four times to get the score to, to you know, to get admittance in the pen. So I understand that. And um, so I'm all, you know, that, that, I think that, like you said, that that helped, you know, as far as recruiting kids and uh, to, to Colgate, because you don't want to you don't want to recruit a kid that that you that can't get in the school. And nor do you want to recruit a kid that won't be able to do the school work. Um, because I think you do yourself a disservice and you do that kid and his family a disservice by, you know, wasting their time. And if they can't get into school, you, you know what I mean? And so that, that's the first thing you, you want to make sure that the kid can get into school and that the kid will be able to do the work and, and flourish. So eight years at Colgate on staff, when you think of your time there, what are you most proud of? And what are the, the big memories and lessons you took from that time that you'll take forward? The most thing I'm proud of is is how we 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 changed the program, you know, and we uh, I think we built something that is going to continue to to be to prosper, 
you know, um, helping, helping Matt, um, you know, change the culture and, 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 ch- and turn the program around, you know, Let, be honest, we'll call a spade a spade. Um, and it's been a long time, you know, and Donald Foyle's not walking through that door anytime soon, you know? And I think that was the, that was the last time Colgate was really, really good is when they had a, you know, the number top three, you know, draft pick, uh, and O'Donnell Foyle, um, you know, his last three schools were, were Penn, I mean, sorry, with Colgate, Duke, and Syracuse. You don't see that happening nowadays. So for um, Matt, you know, to be able to help Matt change change the program and, and change the culture and help, you know, put, you know, build a winning winning situation, that, uh, I'll say, and, and then help, you know, the, the kids that we had, you know, grow and, and, and be a part of something that they can be proud of, you know, afterwards and, and seeing all the alumni come back and, and be proud of, of what, you know, you helped, you know, help build is, I think that's, that's special. And, and, and that's something that I'll always remember. And, you know, just remembering the look on the staff and on the players faces um, when we finally, you know, when we finally won and we won, you know, we, we broke shattered some records for wins and all that, but, you know, winning, like we, we were able to play in three straight Patriot League championships. Uh, we didn't win them all. Um, we won one out of, the, out of the three, but, you know, we won the regular season back-to-back years, you know. Um, so, you know, just looking at the, the faces and of our staff and, and our players when, 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 when we won, you know, that's, that, that's something I'll remember for a long time. Favorite part of coaching? What's the, the most enjoyable part of the experience for you? Uh, the most enjoyable part of the experience for me is, is the relationships that you build, you know, with, with the players um, and, and fellow coaches in the business. I've got some good friends and I've met some, some, some good friends in the business. And a lot of the guys that I've, that I've, I've played with and against, you know, in Europe um, are now coaching as well. So uh, I'll say the relationships that I've built with our, with our players and with the staff. And, and just with other other coaches in, in the business is, is something and being able to give back you know to to teach teaching you know to teach and, and to help these young men develop into better basketball players and also into better better men and my final question as we wrap up with the name Michael Jordan as <laughs> a standout basketball player what kind of reactions did you get over the years? Did it get tedious when people would make bad puns and stuff like that? And, or did you hit a point where you just kind of put it out of your mind? When I was younger, it used to bother me a little bit, but you know, I think, uh, probably my, I think my sophomore year, my junior year in high school, um, 23 became available and all my teammates were like, man, you should switch over to 23. You know, you should switch over to 23. So then I started to embrace it a little bit. And the the funny thing, I don't know if you remember that ESPN commercial where the white guy walks up and he's trying to make reservations and get a car rental and, and all that stuff. And and he says he's Michael Jordan and everybody's, you know, disappointed when they see that it's him and not the other Michael Jordan. I'm going to say the other Michael Jordan. A lot of people say the real Michael Jordan. And I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm real. I'm standing right in front of you. I'm just not him. You know, so that that's that was something that always bugged me a little bit when people say, you know, the real Michael Jordan instead of the the other. Um, but you know, it, it, if I let it bother me, I, I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd be out of my mind right now. They have to probably have to have me in a straight jacket or something like that. So I, I embraced it and, you know, you take the good with the bad. Um, but you know, that commercial, 
I, ESPN should have definitely had me had me uh, for that commercial because the sheer disappointment on people's faces when you know they're expecting Michael Jordan and I show up and it's just it, you know it's to me it's funny because I can like I don't think that they realize I can see their disappointment when it's when they see me and not him. Um, so, you know, that, that was an interesting take on it. And I would just laugh about it and all that. Um, and then, you know, they're all be like, Oh, you're related. You know, I'm like, no, nah, I wish, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, were you named after him? And I'm like, nah, you know, I'm, I'm, I think he was getting cut from his freshman high school team when I was, uh, when I was born. So it was just a pure coincidence. Um, you know, you gotta have fun with it. Um, because if you don't, it, it, it could, it could drive you insane. So, you know, I've embraced it. I wore 23. I had a bald head, probably mostly because male pattern baldness. You know, I can, there's nothing I can do about that. I feel your uh, pain so, there. Yeah, yeah, I was forced. I was, I'm forced to rock the baldy. Luckily, I got a nice shaped head, so it works out. <laughs> so, yeah, I wore 23, and then, um, you know, I, I had bald head and everything. So, you know, I'm just a six-foot version of, 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 of MJ. That's all. Mike Jordan, thanks so much for joining me today. All right, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Drexel men's assistant basketball coach Mike Jordan for being our guest this week. If you like this show, want to help us out, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with another conversation with someone you should know more about.